try something real quick. We did this thing called the track. Track, we had, um, our, our whole desire was for hip-hop to be the uh, a distributable like piece of uh, media that could just unpack the gospel. This is one verse. Uh, I'm rusty, so this is the disclaimer if I mess up. Um, my man Drake's already told me that the word on the street is I'm washed up, so... Uh, uh, so, yeah, I like that. Never that. But um, how fitting this this second verse, uh, this second verse to this song, um, sort of leads us into our message today. Let me see if I remember it though. That's one thing about just recording. If you don't like have shows and you don't do the song, you forget it. I'll be stopping kids and asking what the gospel is. They think I'm talking about music. That's the gospel biz. That's iffy. You could take that or leave it in a jiffy. Much of it is just singing and dressed this really spiffy. But the true gospel lives. That's the good news message. You want to get it to hostages. It's not for kids who clean up. In fact, you don't even need the gospel if it's possible to clean up your act. Don't see yourself limping, neat in the lean like you're fat. Joe, see yourself dead and laying clean on your back. Yo, one thing you're going to learn from Genesis 3 is sin is a beast and it can creep on innocent peeps. Ask Adam, he fell when he consented to eat. Got the dinner from evil, fell to the sin of deceit. Neither one could put it into the beef by pinning some leaves. God had to do it through the skin of a sheep. I'm in it too deep. Sometimes I rush the feed. Realize sin attacks when you're just the seed. Matter of fact, when you're just conceived. Sin's at the root, that's why sinful acts is what you breed. For example, you're thinking that it's just the weed. God sees beneath, it's never just the deed. His problem starts with the heart that thought the act, that sought the raps, then went out and bought the sack. The gospel. Every now and then. Every now and then. It's never just our deeds. God's got an issue so deep it needed something, like, like Shah said today, we're great sinners, we need a great Savior. Um, and so I just thought that was a good little appetizer, a little warm-up. Last week, I didn't really finish. Uh, Pastor E was supposed to preach, but last week just got so good, and we were just introing our new series called Galatians, uh, Life in Light of the Gospel, Life in Light of the Gospel. And so this week, I figured, uh, basically, I'd slow up, because toward the end, I just started rushing, trying to finish, didn't finish, so I sort of cheated uh, you of a couple of points, and then didn't finish some others. So one of the things we're going to do today, today should be much shorter, because basically, like, I preached three-fourths of the message, um, and today I really just want to just finish up, um, and it's good. We have Covenant Community today, so, I mean, the graduation, so we need a little more time, but uh, I'm going to back up and, and, and basically sort of recap and then just go into today's message, and Lord willing, God will uh, bless this thing. Um, right now, we're in a, uh, a series called Galatians. We want to teach through this book, uh, because we know that we cannot afford to be a church that uh, doesn't stay true to the gospel. We cannot afford to be Christians who don't know what the gospel is, who the first thing you think about, you think oh, I'm talking about music. Um, we cannot be afford, afford to be a people who uh, wander and flounder around with uh, peripheral items in the faith or peripheral items of, 
of religion and not hit the bullseye of the gospel. So uh, come with me. Today, just to even launch into just how necessary it is for us to be schooled on the gospel, um, I want to I just reflect back on something I just came out of, not just me, but I seem to be a target for it. Um, about a couple years ago, I found myself in the middle of something that at first I thought was just a trivial dispute. Just a trivial dispute. I, I found myself... Uh, you know, just throwing a couple of little blogs out and a couple of little articles out just on the rationale for why Christians thought that hip hop provided a great context for a generation of people to not only meet Jesus, but to actually grow in him. I, just, I thought it was just trivial because out of the blue, somebody came and convinced people uh, something that we hadn't had to deal with in about 10 years. And that is that hip hop and Jesus Christ are incompatible. Uh, I found myself uh, in this debate and it bugged me out because uh, by the time he got a hold of it, this person, uh, not only did they have churches lined up buying his, his, his media, his DVDs on the truth about hip hop. And so by the time he got to it, even Christian hip hop was of the devil. By the time he got, of it, uh, got, got away with it, uh, it seemed like churches who used to bring us in to be their alternative to what their kids were being poisoned by began to reject us. By the time he got a hold of this thing, uh, hip-hop and all of its detectable traces and attire was looked at as another sign of rebellion, something that was incompatible with hip-hop. Uh, and this, the, again... Uh, at first, I thought all we have to do is just throw this out the court because everybody knows that Jesus Christ can redeem anything that's not inherently sinful. So, of course, the first thing that he did was say that it was inherently demonic and therefore unredeemable. And what they didn't realize and what churches didn't realize is really what they were doing was attacking something that's at the root of the gospel. Before you know it, as we began to defend it, not realizing that everybody was going to take him seriously, as we began to find ourselves trying to argue with our supporters, even arguing amongst ourselves, before you know it, we found ourselves in an age-old debate about what is and what isn't acceptable to God. And so we started looking at this thing called hip-hop. What is it? So all of us, all of us, we just said, listen, hip-hop really at its base is just another cultural form of expression. All it is is cultural. If you agree with the premise that hip-hop is cultural, then the Christian can come in contact with it or the Christian can walk within that culture and then begin to sift his culture through the gospel, through the mindset of God, throw away the pieces that are incompatible with God and he's allowed to keep the rest. Well, again, we, this argument made it where uh, it was proposed that by the time you throw away hip hop, everything would be gone and therefore you wouldn't have a thing called Christian hip hop. You'd have no hip hop. Well, uh, what about the, the fact that the church vibe is also a cultural form of expression? What about the fact that people say you don't look like a Christian? What they're saying is that Christianity looks like something. Uh, uh, now, the last time I checked, Christianity is something uh, that's internal, but that has ramifications that are external. Stay with me, y'all. Uh, but it's, people say you don't look like a Christian, so they'll look at you and your T-shirt happens to be, let's say, a double X. And then they'll look over to the 
their friend. His T-shirt is Hanes or Fruit of the Looms. It's a large. It's glued to his body. You see all of his curves and pecs and all kinds of stuff. And you'll see, now that's a T-shirt. Now that guy is an upstanding citizen, buddy. And so we're looking and I'm like, well, I didn't know that the size of your T-shirt uh registered in heaven as being uh, in conformity with his will or in rebellion to his will. Uh, uh, what happened with gospel music? Now, up until Swiss Beats made the tambourine uh, real popular in music, tambourine was usually associated with churches. So, yeah, and then they bring me I mean, the tambourine was killing it, right, in churches. But on the corner, it was the hi-hat, right? And so I'm like, dang, like, I don't like gospel music. At one time, we didn't like the form of gospel music. You know, too many tambourines and everybody who sings it, you know, has a certain kind of voice. And that, but like, but I didn't know that in heaven, God was, you know, looking at the, the drum heavy or the, the funk sound of, let's say, you know, what I'm saying hip hop, Christian hip hop, um, once he gets a hold of it and, and said, no, nah, I don't like that. I, I prefer tambourines and I, I prefer a lot of piano and organ. I didn't know that God was standing up there saying that. Um, um, suits and ties. I remember when I was growing up, you know, my pops laced me in the finest in J.C. Penney's slacks. <laughs> Back in those days, penny loafers with the copper penny in the little insert gleaming up. Hopefully it was a new penny. Uh, and then, you know, you button up, you know what I'm saying? And the clip on when I was young and eventually I learned how to tie a tie. Um, but, but I remember feeling like, dang, I wish God liked Jeans, right? I, I wish God liked sneaks. Um, but he doesn't. Okay. That's like, uh, God doesn't like that, you know? And, um, I, I didn't know this, but that's literally what it boils down to when you start asking yourself, man, if you were to strip the dude who found himself growing up with hip hop as his social context. Now, in other words, he didn't, he wasn't conditioned by the church. He just sort of grew up like I did, let's just say. You grew up on the streets of New York City. You go to a public school and you see people rocking to, you know, uh, Rapper's Delight. And you like the rhythm. You know, you're not catching the words. You just like the rhythm. You're like, man, that's more like, boom. That's sort of, that's not like when we all get to heaven, like we were singing at Pastor Tate's church. Like, this is something like that seems more like my vibe. Mm, okay, bet. It wasn't until I got older that I recognized that if you were to take that same thing and lace it with a mindset that God likes, that actually it's just God's mind that he wants to hear, but that God has given us a variety of ways to express that. And so we started arguing because he wanted to attack the very root of our ability to have a different vibe, uh, to have a different flavor, um, to wear a different size shirt. Because um, if you take all of that, you, you get rid of all the hip hop, but you still have a person who's now got to choose another variety of cultural forms to live out his faithfulness to a God. He was just excited, liked him enough to bring him into his office. And so as we people said, why are you defending? Before you know it, we're going back and forth so much, people began to scold me. Why are you defending hip-hop? And I was telling them, well, I'm not. I'm really defending the implications of the gospel. Because what is the gospel after all? The gospel is good news that people who were not part of God's original cultural people uh, now have access to the same God. 
Now, that was the beautiful news. Most of us say we're not ready to get saved. And then you begin to think of the things that would have to change if you got saved. And some of that stuff you do need to change because the only time you get saved is when you begin to see something incompatible with the thing you bring into God. Like, I want to just smoke weed. But you don't stop smoking weed in order to get saved. You tell yourself, man, I'll never stop smoking weed if God doesn't save me. So you want to get saved hoping that that is the thing that actually will impact your ability to turn from sin. You don't like sin. God has already renewed your mind to now start not liking sin. And then he has to come in and save you in order to give you power over sin. Well, the same thing ends up happening. You say, man, like God would actually come in and accept me with my T-shirt this big. Man, I wonder if he'll let me keep it that way once I'm introduced to him. And then you find that God will say, like he says about circumcision, circumcision is nothing. Uh, There's a spiritual circumcision that you have to have. T-shirts are nothing. There is a new cloak of righteousness that really matters. And so I begin to uh, have this a battle. And the only reason why I bring that to your attention today is because it's just like our book today, Galatians. The whole book of Galatians was written because there was a group who were out the cultural loop of God's people who were being told, I know you trusted Christ. I know your faith is in a God who gave himself for sins, but there's still some adjustments, external adjustments that you have to make if you want to be fully accepted by him. And so today, um, like this book, I remember getting angry, not just when pastors and parents began to tell me, yeah, you know, that hip hop is basically unredeemable. But I remember even getting upset when hip hoppers and rappers started saying, let's just let's use a different term and let's just, you know, slim down our pants. Let's let's basically let's conform to what people are telling us we need to be in order, of course, to feel like we're more of what God wants us to be. This is at the heart of the gospel. What more do you have to do after you hear that Jesus has done it all? What less do you have to do once you hear that Jesus has done it all? The whole book was written about this. Paul said, wait a minute. I came to you and gave you something called the gospel. Now I'm hearing that you're telling people. That's not enough. Just like they looked at us and say, you were you were you were doing well, but your style of music or your choice of clothes or the social context that you want to identify with doesn't jive with what God is doing. So last week we looked and we said when Paul began to hone back in on this thing called gospel, he wrote a book called Galatians and he started with Paul. We said, first of all, the gospel is transforming. The gospel is transforming. It changes things. Paul is the Greek name of the Jewish Saul. Saul, his name was Saul. That was his Jewish name. And he let the gospel and the ministry to his target audience make him go by a name that meant little. When Saul was a big shot in Jewish history, he could have used the name that connoted bigness. You know, remember the king? First king of Israel, Saul, you know me. 
But instead, the gospel so impacted him that he began to go by a name that actually meant little. The gospel's transforming. He began to change from a persecutor of the church to a planter of the church. He said, this thing called gospel is significant enough to write a whole book to make sure you clear it up. It's significant enough to make sure that you hammer away Sunday after Sunday because people need to know. Because if they get the right gospel and they know the truth about the gospel, it actually may mess around here and transform them. It's authoritative. It's not just a nice concoction. It's not just a nice story. The gospel is to be obeyed. Therefore, the next thing he says as an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised them from the dead. Well, this is how Paul does all of his epistles. This is how most people in, the new, in, this, in this era would write a letter. But the beautiful thing about Paul is he elaborates on his apostleship in a way that's geared to highlight his authority. Because the way to cut through the authority of his gospel is to undermine his own authority. So Paul says, oh, the gospel is authoritative. And for you to understand that, just know it comes from somebody who's got authority. And this person didn't get it from a human authority. I got it straight from God. The gospel. Glad Peter's here today. Amen. The gospel is authoritative. The gospel is universal. The reason why we don't have to dress like you in order to be more acceptable to God, and the reason why you don't have to dress like me is because the gospel is universal. Up until one time, it was, oh, the Jews are saved by their relationship with Yahweh. (laughs) Yeah, well, when Jesus Christ came on the scene, he began to show people, I've always had a plan to make sure there wasn't just Jews who were saved, but it was Gentiles. That means that people are going to look different. That means that people are going to observe different days. They're going to have different passions, different bents. The gospel is universal. And so he looks and he says to the churches of Galatia, which are primarily Gentiles, even though they had Jews in it there. The gospel is redemptively focused, redemptively focused. One of the things he does is elaborate on something about Jesus in particular. He says here that God the Father raised him from the dead. What are you doing dying? He says here, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present age. Anytime you start, the Bible talks about giving yourself, giving himself for our sins, means that it's zeroing us on a day when he sacrificially and substitutionarily died. The gospel is not your God will change you, though that's a true statement. The gospel is not your testimony, though that's a nice piece of additional information. The gospel is not he loves you and has something in store for you. Like these are equal truths that are on the peripheral of the heart of the gospel. The gospel is about sinners who are on their way to hell and then a substitute came and said, don't send them to hell. I'll handle their sin debt dies on the cross and so if you never get around to sin and you never get around to a death for sin you really have never touched the gospel and so we see it's redemptively focused it's it always gets to the cross people say a lot of stuff about god and a lot of stuff about god is true we have 66 books full of stuff about god However, the common thread that takes all the 66 books and links them together is the fact that they all have redemption. Redemption means deliverance. Who needs deliverance? People who are saying, help, help, right? You don't want somebody saying, help, help, help. And then you dive in the pool and they say, yo, I just wanted that float over there. Like, what you mean, help, help, you wanted to float over there? Like, you could have just said, can you give me the float? But, like, help, help is save me. Something's wrong. 
Nobody says, help, help the Jesus. I just needed a new job. Help, help, Jesus. I just need a new job. That's true, but Jesus is jumping in. Like, where are the people who are saying, help, help? Save me. Gospel is also doxologically driven. We started saying some of those seem like elementary words. We went to seminary. We paid a lot of money. So every now and then we like to use some of the terms we got from there. So doxologically driven, which just means the Greek word doxa means glory. And so if it's doxological, it means it has to do with glory. So Paul is writing to Jesus to him be glory forever and ever. And so he just breaks out. You know, if you're around Muslims, they'll talk about their prophets. And every time they'll mention a prophet, they'll say, peace be among them. And they'll just tag on peace be among them. Something about talking about Muslim prophets and say, peace be unto them, peace be unto them. Just tag it on. Well, Paul's the same way with Jesus Christ. Like, Jesus Christ, and when you start making me reflect on the fact that he saved and that he saves, glory be to him forever. Don't get it twisted. Nobody here is taking credit. It's always about the glory of Jesus Christ. So we looked at that. Uh, the gospel is God. Um, verse 6, this thing, the gospel is not just a message, though it is a message. Uh, the gospel is so synonymous with something that's only God that when you leave the gospel, you think, I just don't like that message. Well, God says, well, you're really just you're leaving God. So he says here in verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by his grace. No, I'm just leaving the gospel. Yeah, that's deserting him who called you, not just some message. You all tracking with me? All right. So now we're going to slow down because we also saw that the gospel is grace, but that brings us to where we are this week. And we're really going to look at, uh, go through the rest of verse, t- verse 10. Um, Everything that the book is going to talk about sort of gives you a sneak preview. It peaks at peekaboos in these ten verses. So it's difficult to not start going into it because you see all of it, like a lot of what's going to be unpacked. And you want to just start preaching what one day, like as we go on through the book, is going to unfold. And so I'm trying not to do that. So don't think, man, he, he ain't really... Dang, man, how come he ain't hammer away on that? That's what we're going to spend our time, our months, our weeks, whatever it takes, uh, through the Galatians uh, unpacking it. But we're going to slow down and look at the fact that the gospel is grace. The gospel is grace. Uh, verse 6 says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. It's grace. Again, the thing that distinguishes Christianity is we have a a truth called grace. Every other religious uh, movement makes you earn some sort of favor with the God. They, they, that's just the way it is. And that's, that seems logical. Yesterday, me and my man were watching Kung Fu. And in the Kung Fu flick, they were like, can you heal somebody? He was like, well, catch this bead first. And he threw a bead down. And then she was like, ah, I got the bead. No, all of the beads. And next thing you know, like a thousand beads came out. And it just showed you, like, it, the, the screen started breaking up into, like, a thousand little squares. And you just saw her picking up all these beads. And she went in with a, all the beads. She's like, finish the beads. You know what I mean? And he was like, you've missed one. And so and she's like, it was crazy. And I mean, like, we were laughing because we were like, isn't this perfect? Like, it makes, I need you to heal my friend. Well, first, do something. That's religion. That's what religion is. That's what Jesus Christ came to say. I'm going to free you from that. Even the Jews thought that their adherence to God's do's and don'ts would get them somewhere with God. 
Which is why Paul comes and says, oh my goodness, I know you're not going to go back to that. That's what we got freed from. That's why we were partying. And so the gospel is grace. It's a struggle for us. He says, in the grace of Christ, we're trying to figure out, is that in the sphere of grace? Does God call you and say, hey, I know where grace is. Come in to grace, the sphere, and that's called Jesus Christ. That's where Jesus Christ is. Or is that an instrument that God uses? It could be both. It could be, the, I, I call you using the grace hook. And I place you in a sphere called grace. Either way, one of the things that we do, God says, I just want you to know you didn't do anything to get here. I did peep your church attendance. That was nice and everything. But that ain't why you're here. And I got to hand it to you. I like the fact that you've been diligent in school. But that ain't why you're here. But somebody will always struggle with grace and refuse to receive it. Now, this whole Galatia was this group of um, provinces that made up this section. It depends on what view you take, but we, we're holding to what we call a South Galatian view, which says that this isn't the small place called Galatia. We, we, we likened it unto Philly, the Philly proper, and then there's sort of the Philadelphia area. So you live in Ben Salem, and, but you tell people you live in Philly, which is a true statement, but if somebody really want like, pe- to like peg you, like, you don't live in no Philly, you live in Ben Salem, like, like, come on, I'm saying it's Philly, yo. You know it's Philly. Like, they don't know where Ben Salem is. I just say Philly because it's the Philly area, right? Same thing. It's like uh, Galatia or is it Galatia? Well, for them it was Galatia, not Galatia. Well, based on that, we go to Acts and we see where Paul was going to these different places and makes up the Galatian church, right? So if that's true, if, it is the, if, we, if the southern view is right, then we go to Acts 13 to 14, about 28, and we see where Paul was going and he was starting to get with the Gentiles and begin to free them up. You don't have to have all the feasts down packed like us, like we did. You don't have to this like we did. You don't have to not eat what we had to not eat. You don't have to not mix fabrics like we didn't have to mix fabrics. You don't have to do any of the stuff that we used to do. All you got to do is come, fall at the feet of Jesus, who was Messiah, and our Jewish Messiah will become your Gentile Messiah. Our Jewish Savior will become your Gentile Savior. The Gentiles, according to Acts, was like, yeah, now, that's what I'm saying. So evidently God had already caused them to want what the Jews had, but they were used to going to... Uh, Follow me. They were used to going to the temple and having a look over the gate because there was a court of the Gentiles to let you. Ah, don't come over here. You're just a Gentile. You know what I mean? And you're like, like, welcome to the party, but stay where you belong. And so the Gentiles is like, man, whew, you smell that roast? You know what I mean? They say lambs are on the grill and everything. And so they're sitting up here. The ladies were in their place. Like, don't worry, Gentiles. We know what you're going through. We can't. We got a court of the women. Gentiles were right here. I mean, Jews were right here, and then the priests were right here. Like, we got all y'all beat. You know what I mean? And so, uh, and so like, they were used to this idea that God is off limits unless you jump through some hoops. 
Somebody always likes to mess it up, though. And so Acts 15, turn with me there real quick. Acts 15. Huh? Oh, yeah, I got you. Acts 15. And the only reason why I'm even bringing this out, since Pastor E's trying to muzzle the ox, (laughs) is because the whole book and this emphasis on grace and the need to elaborate on gospel is because of this right here. Acts 15 just says this. But some men came down. Now, this is the but some men came down is after the Gentiles are excited that they're even being visited and told that they can get down with the Lord. But some men came down. Already we got a problem. Anytime you see but, you know, whatever you were celebrating is about to get ruined. So I was rocking my do-rag. Me and the Lord was getting it in. I was at a crosswoman concert. You know what I mean? I was praising him. But then some men came came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. See, that, that's what ruins it. I then came to I, I, yo, I, I repented. God got me di- like not liking my sin. I hear about a Jesus who, was, who, who, who died for sinners. I started celebrating. He told me, you're forgiven. But then some men came down from Judea and said, yeah, but unless you're circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, customs, there's classic customs. It's always somebody's custom they're trying to throw on you. Well, around here we do like, but that's just a custom. That ain't the way the Lord set it up for me. That's your custom. All of a sudden, check this out. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate. Why are you defending? Like, I'm just telling you. You're starting to, like, burden people with stuff that applies to you like God's burdening them with that. It says here, they were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. So other people are not tripping. They're not tripping. Like, oh, the Gentiles are getting saved. Word, that's what's up. That's hot. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done Uh, excuse me, had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God knows the hearts, uh, excuse me, God knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke 
on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. The grace. Now, the reason why I took that time is because Paul and Galatians never will say we already didn't solve that with the Jerusalem council. So it's speculated that the church of Galatia was already a church established and already having signs of this issue before this council met and started thinking it through and heard Peter. Otherwise, Paul would have said, come on, you know, you don't have a leg to stand on and my people wouldn't believe you because the word came down from the council. So before then, somebody's already messing with it. But we see now grace is supposed to be the thing that ends the discussion about you having to do anything in addition to faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is a gospel of grace. So Galatians is written to emphasize it. Full and complete acceptance by God is granted because of faith in Jesus Christ, not because you did anything or you tried to merit it. And some of you in here are going to wrestle because you still think that you're not as bad as somebody else because of things you do or things you don't do. Some of you are like, I'm not ready to sort of really get it in with God because you're thinking about the stuff you like to do that would keep you from feeling the, the, the full acceptance of God. Some of us are going to in here going to think, yo, if I just this will make it easier for God to love. I said that. I said, man, I, I'm going to get I said, I'm ready to come back to the Lord. I guess I got to switch clothes. Like I literally said that. And it wasn't until one day I started witnessing to a dude in my regular clothes. And he said, man, you sound like a pastor. I said, word. See, the key is not my clothes. That's what am I saying? <laughs> I started dropping. I started, and then I would rap. I would go to these talent shows, and I started rapping, but putting Jesus in it. And they were like, oh, I can't believe it. If it was something like that, maybe I'd go to church. I was like, see, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> the gospel is a gospel of grace. And it's because it's a gospel of grace, you and your baggies are accepted. You and your tight joint jeans are accepted. But, yo, but you don't understand. I don't mind rules. I don't mind, but we have a dress code here, and we say that you should. Some of y'all are like, don't go to Bible college. Some of some, hey, well, it's grace. I should be able to do what I want in here, as long as this God didn't say a sin. But there's something called rules and protocol, and, well, here we all, we, we've uniformed by dressing like this or doing like that or having these parameters. But when somebody tries to make it sound like this is even what God is saying, then they're going against the gospel. And that's why we get in it when pastors fill churches up and then basically tell people, if you're from a hip-hop context, if your son or your daughter is from a hip-hop context, which means when we look at them, we're going to be able to tell you didn't grow up in church. You probably grew up listening to Biggie Smalls. Okay, bet. And so we look at them and we say, but what are you believing? No, they don't say that. They say, well, you need to. Soon as you, you don't ask me what I believe. You don't ask me what my faith is in. You don't ask me who my faith is in. You don't ask me what is the gospel. You tell me you need to. That's something I've got to do now. 
same thing they were saying. Yo, we trusted Jesus, but were you circumcised? No, actually, I wasn't. Do you keep the law according to Moses? Well, no, I'm a Gentile. Like, I didn't even have the law according to Moses. I used to look at y'all not keeping the law. Like, phew, glad we ain't got that. The gospel is a gospel of grace. So look, back to, back to Galatians. Back to Galatians. Paul says, so I'm astonished because now the Galatians are like telling each other, yeah, we need to be circumcised. He says, I'm astonished that it's that easy, that it's that soon you're deserting him who called you into the grace system. He says, look, you're turning to a different gospel. Verse 7. Not that there is a different gospel. There's just many troublemakers. There's only one gospel, but there are plenty of troublemakers who want to distort the gospel of Christ. The gospel. So, don't leave out of this church and somebody asks you about the issue of salvation and you start rattling off do's and don'ts. You tell them, I'm undeserving. You start with this. First of all, let's just get this straight. I'm undeserving of anything from God. Like, I don't even deserve it. I mean, my hair is messed up. My clothes are not hooked up. My mouth is filthy. Like, you could just rattle all the stuff that should keep you from God and even throw in the stuff that they think would keep you from God. Plus, I was born down, down in the, the other side of the tracks. Um, I smoke weed every now and then. I'll be honest with you. Um, like, rattle off all the stuff that would exclude you. And I say, but I heard of this thing called the gospel. And the gospel is about grace. Do you hear me? And um, in grace, I heard is unmerited favor. Our inheritance major because we cherish the Savior. Some of y'all ain't gave me dap all day. Then I, I rattle off a Shaolin round. Y'all like, yeah. So good. So don't turn from this. Don't tell us that now we're going back to suits and ties so God will like us more. Now we're burning our crosswoman CDs. I mean, you know, so we could be more right, so we could be righter with God. <laughs> the gospel is not just about grace because it is and because people get it twisted and because someone will always distorted called troublemakers the gospel has major gravity gravity look what paul says uh in verse eight but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you let him be accursed as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let them be accursed. Today, my brother said, you're going to deal with anathema? The word accursed here is anathema. 
It's a word that basically means dedicated, placed under a ban for destruction. It's where God houses you for destruction. It's where something is placed. Put that over there. We're burning it. You don't immediately burn it. You place it in the we're going to burn it section. The Bible says that's what hell is. Hell is a cell that holds people and hell will be thrown in to be burned or into the lake of fire. So in other words, Paul says, if somebody comes on the scene and starts messing with the gospel and preaches one contrary to us, get them ready for hell. The gospel has gravity. Listen, this principle is basically why every week we like to harp on the gospel. Because you can't afford to get that one wrong. You can't afford to get that one wrong. You can't afford to not know that one. Well, what was the council? The date of the councils? You can get that wrong. 322 B.C.? 25. 25. Like, it's okay. What's the gospel works? Boy, don't play. The gospel has great gravity. Paul says it. He says, listen... I don't care if an angel comes down. You know how angels, you know, historically, especially in Jewish tradition, they were used to angels coming and bringing messages. This is a Gabriel. But dude, say he Gabriel. He come down. Yo, I got a new one for you. The gospel, right? All you got to do is add circumcision to the man. He says, may he go to hell. Anathema. And so this is why. The negative just affirms the positive. The gospel has so much gravity. Don't get it wrong. But let's flip it. Get it right. We're not here to tell you not to get it wrong. Though we're telling you not to get it wrong. We're here to tell you get it right. Don't just not know like that. Like know the gospel. Preach the gospel. Act like it's so important you got to, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, let me give you this as a first of importance. I want y'all to, some of y'all know about this, but we got this thing called the warden. The warden is a stickler for stuff. We have the, the, um, the, the movie warden. Let's start with him. The movie warden is a... Person who's such a stickler about movies, I mean, they want the environment of a movie has to be right. The movie can't start while you still got a few, like, hand me the pop, ah, stop. I'm just asking for the popcorn, go ahead, the credits are just, it's the Miramax, like, the movie ain't start, it's still just saying Miramax, ah, stop it. A warden is a stickler. A warden will be like, ah, like, yo, does it, anybody need anything? Look, a warden is such a stickler that they will gladly miss out on the movie to make sure you don't. I, I'll go get it. This is a good part. You need anything else? The warden will miss out on the movie. If somebody says, I'm sleepy, do a movie. The warden will miss the movie that he hasn't seen, or she hasn't seen, wondering if you're, if you're asleep. You're like, I'm chill, I'm chill, he just shot dude. Oh, I was just making sure. 
So the whole movie, the warden is looking at you to see if you're catching the movie in its entirety. That's a warden. We have the food warden. Some people are movie and food wardens at the same time. <laughs> uh, yes. We have a couple of wardens in this building. The food warden is a stickler for food. The environment has to be right. I like the ambiance here. The food has to be like perfect. You can't deviate from the formula. Like it, like if you, it, like if it was good yesterday and you'd be like, but I'm going to try something. Don't try nothing. Food wardens are making sure. How do you like it? Oh, I knew it. I knew when he left it on too long that it, we got to come back. I'm telling you, this place is like a food warden. Is a, uh, wait, is this Splendor? I, this is Splendor. Like a food warden can detect when it's Splendor or sweet and low. Food warden can detect when the salt is. I only use that as a, a, a funny way to just draw attention to some people are such sticklers about it being right. Sticklers about it being right, but it's not for them. Like a fool warden's main preoccupation is not like I could take it burnt because I'm going to keep coming till I, I get it like it was when I, I had it before. The fool warden is worried about how it impacts you, which is why the fool, the, the fool warden would be like, how's yours? No, well, then take mine. Mine was done right here. Let me get yours. The movie warden says and misses the movie to make sure you didn't. Paul has written a whole book because he's the gospel warden. He's so concerned that no one messes up your full experience of the impact and the implications of the gospel that he starts telling people, I hope you go to hell. Paul is writing. Paul then journeyed up to Jerusalem. Oh, we're going to Jerusalem now. Now, strap up the bags, Barnabas. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to get this straight. He starts off like, yo, Paul, and I get it straight from above. Easy, easy. I could just sense the tension already from Paul the apostle, not from men, but from Jesus. Paul, like the gospel warden will go through great lengths to make sure no one messes with the gospel because the gospel affects you with such gravity that they will go through great lengths to make sure you get it. Second hmm. Corinthians eleven three four says, "But I'm afraid that the serpent deceived, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere devotion to Christ, pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus." Other than the one we proclaim, excuse me, proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim. Or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it. Like, you're not a warden. Like, you don't mind when somebody comes in with another gospel. You're okay with it. He says you can't be indifferent about the gospel. He says you can't just like people who mess the gospel up. That's all right. I like their um, after school program like that's But when they mess up with the gospel, the after school program pales. These weren't people coming with stuff from they, it was a counterfeit. They probably had every other thing. OK, Paul's mad that they're messing up the gospel. 
People say, don't, let's not divide, let's love, let's be unified. Paul says anathema. <sighs> Lastly, let's just look, verse 10. The gospel demands our faithfulness. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Put it all together, y'all. Paul is minding his business, planting churches, wanting the gospel to bear fruit among Gentiles, people who, according to Ephesians 2, you who were once far away have been brought near. You who were not born in the right ethnic group, you weren't a part of the commonwealth of Israel, so you weren't, a, you weren't, you weren't in on the covenants that God made. So, so you were without God. And you were without hope. Says, but now you who were on the other side of the fence, missing out on the stuff we enjoyed, have been brought near through the blood of Christ, which is another way of saying through the redemptively focused truth about Jesus dying as a substitute for sin. Right. He says, man, so I've been going around planting places among the Gentiles to tell them you ain't got to stand in the court of Gentiles anymore. Come on, we all holding hands up in the presence of God. So I've been going around and planting churches, and I'm a stickler. So he says, now in my line of work, I had to renounce one thing in order to make this ministry pop off. Trying to please man. Says the moment I accepted the job to be a servant of Christ, I had to turn in my man pleasers badge. They stripped me of my keys because this is the wrong line of work. A faithfulness to the gospel means you're going to find yourself looking like a bad guy. You're going to find yourself looking like you're not as holy. Paul says, well, we're not pleasing men anymore. We're seeking to please God, not to gain anything from God. It's just we're serving him because we know it brings him pleasure. And if we're worried about how it affects you, we may front on him. Every now and then we get stories of the pop world or the Christian celebrity world. And one of the challenges in the Christian music industry or movie industry is you need people to like you in order to be a hot ticket item. So you got to wait, like, how do I give them the real gospel when that may mess up my ability to be liked? Paul says, am I still trying to please men? Like, help him where you are. He says, I'm not anymore. He says, if I was still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. I'd be like, I can't do this anymore, Jesus. I need my ratings back up. One of the things that every star, every Christian celebrity or every has to say to themselves is at any moment, I got to let it go. I got to let it go. I went to school all these years to got to let it go. I know I know some producers that play for the wicked. I know some musicians who use the gift in the church. And one of the challenges is. If I'm a servant of Christ, it doesn't seem to please the kind of people to make the kind of money I want it to make. 
So what do people do? Unfaithfulness. They just get enough people who are unfaithful to develop such a culture of unfaithfulness that in the church it doesn't look like unfaithfulness. It's like you got to eat. Paul says, that's why I had to stop needing ratings. I became a servant of Christ. We got a book called Galatians. It's going to hammer away and unpack all the nuances of the gospel. Paul gives you a clip of what he's going to deal with and what he's facing and what made him write it with the first 10 verses. And so he makes it clear. He makes it clear that I get amped about this thing called the gospel because it'll transform you. I'm so excited that it'll transform. It'll take people who are far off from God and make them near. It'll take people who are evil and make them people who hunger for good. He says, and this gospel is authoritative. When you hear it, do not harden your voice. I mean, your heart in the day you hear his voice. It must be submitted to. And therefore, I preach it hard because I stand on something that has authority in and of itself. He says, man, it's universal. I can go to the white neighborhood. I can go to the black neighborhood. I can go to the Hispanic neighborhood. I can go overseas. I can go straight to my home. I can go to the dude that got fitted on. I can go to the dude that has a brim on, the dude that has baggies, the dude that has tight pants. I can go to any of them, and the gospel applies to them. Access to God is granted them, too, without them switching anything up. He says it's universal. This is redemptive. He says, yo, man, this book, he's going to talk about Jesus giving his life. Gospel is serious business. As we keep getting reminded, the gospel is not cheap. It's free to you and I, but it's infinitely expensive. It's doxological. It gives God all the glory because nobody can say, well, I just took my hat off and that's how I got in here. I pull my pants up. How you get in here? The gospel is God. If you reject this message, don't think you and God are cool. Like, I mean, Bastard, he was funny. He was funny. I just don't believe it. But me and God, we got our own relationship. You you and God have nothing. You and God, at that point, you have nothing. And that's why Paul goes on to say, because it's grace. The gospel is grace. God... This is his message and his wisdom. So you say, ah, that's all right. He says, well, then you and God have nothing. The gospel. He said, there's so much gravity in the gospel that if somebody authoritatively says something contrary, cursed be they, get them ready for hell. I don't care who they are, how good they dress, if they have a plane, if they don't have a plane, if their churches are filled to the capacity, and on all the peripheral issues, they're killing it. Anathema. The Gospels requires faithfulness to it if you're going to survive championing, preaching, and living in grace because... If you're still trying to please men and women, you'll drop the gospel every time. If you're not saved in here today, here's the message. Sinners who know they're sinners, because until God gets you, you don't even really realize you're a sinner. People say, I know I'm a sinner, but they don't really know they're a sinner. Like they say it, 
but they don't even understand what that means. So if you know you're a sinner, like, and it's bothering you, something like Pastor E said, I'll confess I'm a sinner, but I'm not ready to repent from it because it doesn't bother me yet. So if you're sinning and that's bothering you, but what's bothering you is not because I'm a sinner. It's and this sin is keeping me from the one who made me and who will judge me. And according to Jesus, has a hell to put me in, which according to Jesus is going to be tossed in a lake of fire, which according to Jesus will just burn forever. But he'll give you a new body to consciously feel the impact of being banned from him and feeling the consequences of not having grace (laughs) snatch you out of the pit. Here it is. If that's bothering you, the Bible says at any moment that you in your you recognize your unworthiness and it makes you say, well, then have mercy on me. Then if I can't do nothing, if I can't go to church enough. If I can't stop cursing soon enough, if I can't say sorry, then have mercy on me then. Give me something I don't have to work for. Give me something I don't have to. The Bible says that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Father, we long to see that happen every week and throughout the week.